Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Friday edition of Keep Calm and Cope CoronaCast. Today, the call is led by Lindsay Griffiths, and Marcy Schunk is on the call. We will not be hearing from our friend Katie Barnard today, but I'm here, and we're going to dish a bit about nine to five practices, best practices for operating during or after or wherever we are in this crazy COVID-19 crisis. Um, are we after? I don't think so. I think we're still during. Lindsay, what say you? Um, I think you're after if you're outside the U.S. and you're during if you're in the U.S. That's what I think. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you, DJT. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it depends on where you're tuning in from. Um, yeah, so I guess we're. it's going to really be business operations during coronavirus. So uh, let's talk about this topic. I think some people think we're at the end of the first wave, but really, I think we're still in the first wave, right? Um, we're seeing an incredible increase in cases in a lot of U.S. states and a return to phase one behavior. So before we dive into what some of these best practices look at look like, let's do a temperature check, not a literal temperature check, but so how is it? <laughs> everyone. Do Although that it will be topical. Yes, it will be topical. I actually took my temperature this morning because I've been feeling a little under the weather this week. So I take it every day. It is very much under 98. Um, so I am not sick with coronavirus. Um, but how is everyone doing feeling about where they are? Uh, Marcy, you're in the hot spot, I think, right? In Texas. I am. I am in a hot spot down in Houston. <laughs> and it is... You know, it's interesting because there are people of different minds, um, even people close to me who are of the minds that, you know what, we're all going to get it and all of the precautions that we're taking are just, you know, prolonging everything yeah. uh, and have this very, I don't want to say defeatist attitude, because I, I guess from their perspective, it's probably more a practical attitude of you know, there's only so much we can do and we've turned our lives upside down and everybody's anxious and, you know, let's just get it over with type of mentality. Uh, and then I am of the mind where I'd like to stay precautious and protect the people that I know and love and keep the bubble intact to some extent or to, to the extent that I can. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's interesting. I do agree with you. We're very much still in the first wave of this, depending on where you are. I talked to friends. I'm originally from Boston. I talked to friends up there and it's a different, they feel, it sounds like they're a little bit more relaxed now that they're able to get together. They feel safer in part because the numbers have been brought down so dramatically uh, mm -hmm. there. And I don't know, I haven't tracked in the past week or two if they've started going back up, but I know that Houston never really got a handle on its numbers. So it's never been a situation here where it felt much safer. Um, it just felt like we got a patient, we reopened the economy and people started engaging in all sorts of social activities and, and parties and things that you know, have put us, I think, very much in the place that we are now, which is you know, one of the worst in the in the U.S. for sure, and starting to actually push against the hospital capacity, which is not something that we had seen uh, previously. 
Right. Do you think that maybe, and I know this is an idea that's been floated by a bunch of people that, um, you know, in places like New Jersey, New York, where we needed the shutdown early on, that was the right thing, but maybe where some of the states in the, in the earlier part of the quarantine had shut down, do you think that maybe they should have waited until they saw some of their numbers rise and they should have shut down on a, on a later basis, like now? That's an interesting question. Possibly uh, that's in theory could have been possible, but we also didn't shut down for very long. So Houston was shut down for maybe a month. And that I think is much, much shorter than most of the other states. So we didn't really allow the virus a time to be curtailed in the same way that San Francisco or New York did where they were shut down for months. Yeah, true. How about where you are, Susan? Yeah, so um, I don't know. I think that we did what we were told to do in California because we're all of the same mindset, but still the numbers have gone up. We're just so uh, jam-packed. I'm not sure what to attribute it to. I do know that we follow the orders here. Everyone wears a mask. Um, On 4th of July, my husband and I took a ride along the PCH, and it was so nice to have the you know, sunroof open and the windows down and see the ocean. And on the way back, we stopped at Half Moon Bay and there were several restaurants open for outdoor dining. And what they did is they shut off the parking lots and put Mm -hmm. tables uh, at least eight to 10 feet apart. And people were in line for to-go orders, all wearing masks. Uh, It just seems like we're very compliant with the orders, yet our numbers have gone up as well. So um, not everything is open here yet. We don't look like Houston. Um, You won't find restaurants and bars with people jammed inside. In fact, I think we opened our restaurants for outdoor dining and then we closed them again because the numbers went up. So um, I, I think what I'm saying is although our numbers went up, we are compliant. So this is, a tr- again, another factor that we don't really know what this thing is, how to deal with it, how to handle it. I know where I live. We have 200, uh, actually we have 300 and some odd biotech companies in my town, in my um, city. And they are all feverishly working on finding the vaccine, which as you know, in the normal course of things that takes you know, two and three years. This may take a year, which is considered super fast. What happens is when things start to get better, um, the funding drops, right? So right when they go to clinical trial phases, they don't get the money they need. And because the, like, for example, SARS and what have you, MERS, they all, you know, the, the, the virus went away, the, the problem, the immediate urgency went away. And so the funding quit, you know, ended. And that's a problem because then we can't further discover how to prevent, right? Right. So that's where we are in my city. And I have been in this bubble for three years because I started working from home when I was caring for my mom and um, just used to being here now. It was very depressing and very difficult for me because I'm a relationships person, as you girls know, or ladies, I should say friends, whatever, chicks, <laughs> y'all won't sue me, don't sue me, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was hard for me, but now I'm used to it, and I love having my husband working from home, he's my best friend, we have fun, 
he has been making the bed every day, cooking dinner every night and doing the laundry and mopping and vacuuming all day. <laughs> like, I'm like, good wow. to be. Yeah, I know. I'm working my bum off and I come out like at seven at night, I come out of my office and I'm like, He's like, honey, we're having steak, and I made some baked squash. I'm like, what is baked squash? Did you even? He's like, yes, we're having acorn squash. And I was like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I yes. love that. <laughs> I don't know that that's everyone's quarantine experience. <laughs> um, so, yes. No. And I think, you know, in I know in New Jersey we we like to give what uh, here is finally referred to as the Jersey salute. Some people know that as the middle finger. Um, so that will tell you what our attitude is like in general, which means that people are gathering whether the governor likes it or not. Um, uh, so you know all. I will say all kudos to Governor Murphy for the very difficult job he has and what he's done during this quarantine. I know a lot of people in our state are not fans of his, but uh, I think he's done the best in a difficult situation. But, um, you know, we are seeing, at least here in New Jersey, a lot of people are returning to the office. Um, I think that's true in some other states too. Uh, and I was just talking actually to two of my lawyers right before we started this podcast, one in Canada and one in France, um, who are obviously starting to return to work i think you know a lot of that is is still pretty optional so um i think there are really two ways that you can look at the return to work one is from the business perspective perspective and then one is from your own individual perspective so um what do we think business leaders should be doing to help create that sense of safety and ensuring that things go smoothly in returning to the office um, at least in the U.S., I know that none of the suggestions that are we can share here are actually mandatory. Um, so really, your business doesn't have to do any of these things, but they're probably a good idea. Um, so one of those things is to create a planning team that will put together a return to work plan. So have any of you seen anything like this? I know all of us pretty much work from home, but um, in terms of some of the, the clients that you work with or the, the colleagues that you know, have any of you seen firms or companies that are, are creating these planning teams or, or doing these, uh, these types of things? Yes, no question. There are, I think, an array of perspectives and depending on where you are, as you said, geographically. So we have global firms that have offices all over the world and are different places and different cities. And, and so these reopening plans need to take into consideration those specific local considerations. And it varies, right? So you have some firms that are moving to a place where, you know, they require the temperature checks, they're limiting the number of people, they are uh, having shifts so different days right. that people can go in. Um, most of them are or that I've talked to are trying to keep attendance, which is fascinating when you're dealing with, with this group of independent people. Um, so I don't, I, I'm hearing some stories that that's not working out quite the way that they were hoping. But the overall sentiment is yes. And it runs the gamut from, I've spoken to managing partners that say, we see absolutely no reason to open our offices. And so we're not going to, until right. we feel compelled to do so. And that's more people in the Northeast. Um, yes. 
all the way to firms who, and I'm sure we'll get to this topic, have done sentiment studies that say that the majority of their people, in fact, the vast majority of their people don't ever want to go back to work full time. And so now they're trying to figure out, well, what does that mean for, for us as a firm, for our work arrangements with people and for our real estate obligations? Right. And yeah, and that actually, let's talk about that a little bit. One of my firms said that they did a survey of their employees and in terms of, you know, what are your concerns in returning to work? And I think what they found surprised them a lot. A lot of their, in that case, a lot of their employees and lawyers wanted to come back and they were a bit surprised to hear that because they assumed that most of them would say that they weren't yet comfortable. And some of the things that they thought would be impediments to returning to work were in fact not the things that were keeping them from coming back. So, um, and more people had actually been into the office than they expected. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think in some cases, some people are social animals and really need an office environment and want to come into the office. And then, you know, Marcy, to your point, a lot of people are sort of like, you know, wow, I, I, have actually been more effective at home and I don't feel the need to ever come back. So, um, you know, is, will we see a difference in law firms or, or other businesses that find that they can go fully virtual through this period? And, and as you say, what does that mean for their, their real estate commitments and, uh, and that type of thing? Mm -hmm. Susan, what, what have you seen? So, um, I can't speak specifically to law firm firms, but generally I've heard a lot about people, um, getting rid of that overhead and not having that brick and mortar building and not clogging up the highways with traffic, uh, trying to fight the two hour commute into work and not getting on, on BART and sharing everybody's nasty, funky air. Um, so yeah, a lot of businesses deciding and, and but look y'all, I mean, I, I work in an area where our economy is so strong. Um, Silicon Valley, they're designed to work from home, these companies, these, these people who work in Silicon Valley. So when you hear that businesses are not reopening because everyone has found they can easily work from home with all the platforms available to do so securely, it's not surprising to me. So I think it's not the same as your law firm examples um, because it's just our way here. I mean, mm -hmm. innovation, creation, progressive thinking, outside of the box thinking, you really don't need to all be gathered under one roof. I think a lot of lawyers too want to get out of the house and away from the screaming kids and barking dogs um, to concentrate on their work. But um, as far as business in general, again, not speaking to specific lawyers or law firms, we have found it easy to work from home, efficient, money-saving, oh my God, you wouldn't believe the, it's so wonderful the days that I do have to drive in for some reason. There's no traffic. It takes me about 15 minutes, what normally takes me an hour. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there has been, and I, I think I have found this, that there's been an increase in respect for people working from home, whereas before there had been this sort of joke that, you know, everyone working from home is really just sitting on their couch watching TV and yeah, not um, really taking it seriously. I well, I don't know if they have come to that conclusion that they should respect those of us who work from home. But I'll tell you this: the fact of the matter is, we work harder, longer, and it's it's dangerous because we work so much more when you work from home. You don't have those normal social um, tips or cues that it's time to go, or everybody's leaving. Let's go have a drink after work, or it's time for lunch. 
you can power through the day and look up and see that it's dark outside and go, oh my God, I've been at my desk for eight hours. So um, people who do work from home have a tendency to work more than they would if they were in the office. So na 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 to those of you. <laughs> okay, so any plan should be individual and flexible. I think we can agree that that makes sense. Um, so uh, I think, you know, the other thing is that people have to take into account what their offices look like. You know, what are their shared spaces? What is the elevator situation? That's actually the thing people talk about the most when I ask them this question is, you know, and I know for one of our firms, they said their elevators have been reduced to either one person at a time or two people at a time, four people at a time. And in some cases, that would mean if you allowed just their law firm to use the elevator, it would take two to four hours to get everyone into the office. And so when you <laughs> wow. think about, right, when you think about returning to, to the office, that's not practical. Um, and those so, billable hours are high. Right. <laughs> it's going to cost a lot to ride the elevator. Yeah. Um, and then considering things like how are most of your employees commuting to work? Are they taking mass transit? How, nope. Right. Mm -hmm. How much tolerance do they have for mass transit? Have you spoken to your landlord about what their protocols are for the office? What cleaning procedures are established? So there's really a lot of questions, I think, that come up as part of this process. And not only having those answers, but in some cases, sharing those answers with your employees so that they feel that level of comfort that the, the organization has taken the time to ask the questions and get the answers, I think will be really helpful. I can tell you, Lindsay, our school system is doing something unique. Um, they have, obviously, we do a lot of um, Khan Academy. He's here in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and the kids are used to doing online work. And I'm not talking about Berkeley. I'm talking about um, elementary and high school, mm -hmm. elementary, middle school and high school. What they are doing is they will reopen but they have made the halls one way, like you go one way here and one way so that there's, um, like they have lanes and they're opening on um, alternative days. So, and they're having half the kids come two days a week, the other half the kids come the other two days a week. And then uh, the middle day of the week is a work from home or catch up or if you need counseling or do you need to talk to someone or have tutoring for class or mental health day. It's really interesting how they're handling that. Um, that way they can still have the socialization, um, be in class with their friends just six feet apart at their desks. That's great. And, yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. How many six-year-olds are gonna get it? Stay in your lane, you! Well, you know? and, and getting them to wear their mask and not touch their faces. And right. it, it's, I don't know where, you know, this is probably a whole topic for another uh, podcast because I don't know what the right thing is. And I think that there's so many implications from a psychological standpoint yeah. and, and social development standpoint with respect to keeping kids out. But then there's also a psychological perspective from the parents who are trying to work full time and yeah. educate their children and parent their children and mind their children. And there really aren't a lot of options right now um, in a two parent working family or a single parent working with as a single parent and and that is going to take a toll not that I'm saying this from any personal experience 
the small, the fine print at the bottom of Marcy's comment. Right? So, um, well, I don't, because I think about it, because what you just said to me about the alternate days, I'm like, I can't even imagine because, yeah. you know, I have two children and the idea of having to drink, bring one of them one day and one of them another, like, that just makes everything worse. I'd rather have them all, both at home. And right. I know that's not the best thing for them because I want them to have the social experience. So I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know that anybody does, but it's, it's an entirely vast topic um, in terms of figuring out what ultimately the impact of this will look like on working families. Um, and I think I put this out there, working moms specifically, and then on, on the kids themselves. I'm going to lend you, know, you my husband, Marcy. He'll clean your house. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I actually, I think that is something we should cover in a future podcast. Yes. I think we, a lot of us have probably seen that article that's circulating about how during the pandemic, women can choose a career or their children and not both. And that that's really not fair. Um, you know, it's not, and it really is not like really not looking at dads here. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's just the, really a big burden has been placed on women during this, this pandemic. Um, in a way that uh, is ha, has put pushed us, and you know, I, I don't really put myself in that category because I don't have children, but um, has has pushed women to the side, and it's sort of like we'll just get it done. Um, and I think I was going to mention that actually at the end of this this um, when we get to the micro level, the individual. But I think you know we haven't really addressed this idea in any of these returning to work plans of that very topic, which is that, you know, what are parents and women in particular expected to do as part of the return to work when a lot of places are not open for children? And, and what if your children have nowhere to go? So well, um, there was a you know, day where we no. had the little red schoolhouse, you know, I think the children will survive. This will, this will pass. We will have a vaccine. This will be part of our history. It's just that we're in it. So like right now that we're in it, we can't see the other side. But I mean, kids lived through the days of other, you know, um, traumas, war, and you know, they, they'll, they'll just say, this is how it was. You know, these were the rules. This is what, now middle school kids, that's a different story. And high school kids, that's a different story. And my son who was depressed severely for quite a while is now in Montana though, and feeling great. But it's, it's the little kids, I think, they, they don't, they'll be fine, that they're, they're gonna, and I'm speaking, Marcy, from the perspective of, um, I agree with you, they need the socialization, and they'll have some of that, but they won't remember this as this horrific, traumatic thing that their moms and dads imagine it is in the kids' minds, because it is that in the moms and dads' minds, but the kids will, you know, by the time they hit middle school, they'll be like, oh, when we were young, we had to take school, you know, homeschool or, you know, right. lots of kids homeschool. I mean, we I, I agree with you and I, it, I'm in the same boat, like my little one. I'm not worried about my eight year old. I'm worried about my middle schooler. Yeah. Middle right. school is tough. Yeah. Right. As it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, my same with my nieces. It's the, it's the oldest one that's had the most difficulty. The little right. one, you know, all the little ones have been better. But again, I think, you know, I totally agree that kids are resilient and I'm actually a little bit more worried about the moms who are, True. you know, like I know some <laughs> who, are, who are working all day with their kids and managing their kids and then working all night at their jobs. And it's yeah. you know, like that kind of thing is not sustainable. 
I wonder how the birth rate is going to change as a result of this. Are wives going to be like, get the hell away from me? No way. Or is this, you know, people thought sheltering in place, we're going to have so many more babies after this is over. I'm thinking not. I'm thinking the divorce rate might even go up. (laughs) Well, and somebody pointed out that anybody who has babies during quarantine are going to be first babies because anyone with a child already will not have a second baby. Because we're, you know, having all that Asiago cheese and wine at night. That's right. And it's so delicious. Um, but I think, um, you know, back to the idea of returning to work, um, one of the things that I find really interesting too is, you know, we've had this tolerance for this sort of short period of time, understanding that it is kind of supposed to be a short period of time for there to be interruptions, whether it be family or your pets or your spouse, um, because we are sort of like, okay, we're in this together and let's all pull together. Um, Do you think companies will continue to be flexible about family obligations and this idea that there has been this huge blurring of lines between your personal and your private life as we do return to the office? I think there has to be. Yes, I I think there has to be. And I I think even having certain companies like Twitter come out and say, like, you never have to come back to the office. Right. That's going to be, I think, a more pervasive mindset. And as far as being flexible with people, I mean, there's an upside to that. There have been, and this is less so, I know, Susan, in Silicon Valley, but in, uh, well, you know what? I take that back. In a lot of companies, there's always been this division between your work life and your private life. And at work, you had to maintain a certain persona. And it may be different. I was thinking of law firms being, you know, buttoned up and kind of, you know, just focused on your work and everybody here is focused on the billable hour. And do you have children? No, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Whereas, and, and it's Silicon Valley. I mean, yeah, maybe we're more personable in terms of talking about our personal lives, but there is still a mentality, especially at a startup, that your that is your life. Yes. And so I happen to see one of the upsides in this whole pandemic is we have allowed people permission to be their their full selves, their whole selves. And I love that. And it's I I am hopeful that that that's you know one of the positive things that we get out of this, and I do see more people in positions of professional development nature talking and talent talking about mental health and awareness and wellness and being mindful of all of this from you know whether it's the pandemic and the stress that that causes or the divisiveness in the country right now or if you know, you're going through Black Lives Matter and you're a person of color. I mean, all of those bring on a level of stress. And so there has been, I think, a lot of uh, awareness and mindfulness about that, which has been an upside. You know, I want to say one quick thing about that, Marcy. That's a great point. Um, I have been, you know, chastised and, uh, you know, for I lost Susan. Lost you for a second. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Hopefully we will get you back um, and we'll find out what you're thinking about. Um, (laughs) Can you hear me now?
I can't hear either of you. There she is. There she is. She's the host. Oh, she did. She she took over again. Oh, and it even looks like she came back as recording. Oh, great. Yeah, so Zoom, pardon us folks out there. I know that you're experiencing some of the same or similar tech issues because we're all working from home. But one of the beauty, beauty, beautiful, one of the beautiful things about Zoom <laughs> is when, uh, <laughs> when it kicks you off, which is mighty unkind, it does bring you back in right where you left off. So at the close of the show, when we share the recording, there will not be um, this great divide. Um, at least that's what I understand to be true. We'll see. So pardon me um, for that technical glitch. Unavoidable, but we're back. Um, I totally thought I was going to be the one with the technical glitches. Here I know. I did too. <laughs> I have a tropical storm going through right now. <laughs> it's your tropical storm that did this. <laughs> it is. I'm it to California. All there my <laughs> electrical glitches. Yeah. So, uh, um, Susan, you had a thought before we lost yeah, you. Yeah, and you're so sweet to think that I still remember what the heck I was <laughs> Thank you, baby. <laughs> okay, well, we, I mean, when we lost you, we started talking about contact tracing, and I was saying that one of my friends is doing that and calling people um, every day to tell them that they have been exposed to COVID-19. Um, so if that's something that your organization is doing, you may want to just consider rotating that person out, because I know that it's hard on her mental health. Um, and it's of course hard on the people who have to hear it, but, uh, that's something that I think all organizations have to consider as they return to work, whether or not they're going to be doing contact tracing and how far down that goes. I think that's one of those things too, that you may want to get some guidance on and like, don't just decide to do it and how you're going to do it. But I think somebody may need some input on that. Mm -hmm. And some training and, yes. and, and recognize, and it's not just the people who are finding out that they've been exposed. It's also all of the people around them. So it's an extremely stressful situation. If you know that your parent or child or someone in your life has been exposed to coronavirus, because then you are in for at least a week of just high anxiety. I just went through it with my boyfriend's mother. So it's, oh it's extremely stressful and the, and the level of anxiety that he was feeling about his mom was super high. Yeah. Uh, so there, that is going to continue regardless of where people are. It's true. There's a, an extreme amount of turmoil. Um, and I think, you know, everybody needs a lot of support around, as you say, around the, the people around that person and the people who are, are delivering the news. So, um, you know, as you, as you said, training is extremely important. Um, I think that training also has to extend to, uh, you know, we can't forget the importance of social media at this time. Um, for companies that are, are doing this, um, social media has become such a big part of our lives and we're used to sort of throwing up all over it. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so. Not <I> me. <laughs> Season. <laughs> um, you know, I have I have friends who you know work for different organizations, and they've been very, very discreet, and I'm very impressed by that. And I think not everyone has done that, so it's you know one of those things where you have to reinforce those social media guidelines at your firms and your companies about not disclosing people's 
COVID status or not disclosing necessarily the procedures in place or those types of things, unless it's something that your, your company or your firm wants to disclose. It's HIPAA so, protected. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So just reinforcing a lot of those, those rules and those, um, those guidelines again with your, your employees, I think is really important at this time. So. Could I just interject a quick personal anecdote here? Um, when I thought I had it or when the doctors thought I had it or when I was being tested for it, because they said, it sounds like you have it, let's check. And then it took a week to get the results. Um, during that week, I had to tell the people I had been around um, and I had traveled, like y'all know, I went from Seattle to Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., to New Orleans, Louisiana, back to San Francisco. So I, you know how I share everything. So um, <laughs> when I got back home and the doctors said you should be tested and I got tested and had to wait, I had to tell everyone that I had come in contact with. And that's a lot of people. And it was so, and you can't help this. And there, people are people and they can't help it. And but it was so heartbreaking. Um, some people wrote back and said, we love you. We're thinking about you. Let us know. Keep us posted. Other people wrote back and said, you know, holy, you know what? How could, you know, and, and they worried about themselves openly um, yeah. on my, you know, and, and, and I know you can't help it. That's your concern. But they were like, holy shit. How, you know, do I have it? Did you give it to me? And oh my God. And, and I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, it's not the best gift I've ever given. And I don't know if you have it, but watch for it and we'll, we'll get through this together. So yes. it, it was really interesting. Um, and y'all know that I take a look at things from a, a, a non-emotional way first. Like, I'm like, well, that's interesting how she reacted. You know, it's just curious. Um, and then the other people, I'm like, well, that's interesting. This one was so loving and kind and said, praying for you, hoping you're fine. And the other's like, oh my God, uh, you know, I have a mother who's over X age, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's just, like you said, Marcy, it's anxiety, you know, and people handle that differently. And I didn't judge negatively. It was just, I had to process my own feelings in the wake of those reactions. Mm -hmm. And and you do feel both sides of it. And I yes. think that that's true. Bring it, bring us back to our topic is you do feel that th what is in my personal interest, but you yeah. also look around and say, you want to be empathetic to, to everything else that people are going through. And it's a really difficult balance right now because everybody's situation is unique. You don't know what their risk profile is personally or for their family. And so what you just said, as I was listening, I'm like, I had both of those. I had conflicting. I, I felt, yeah. you know, tremendous empathy for the situation, but also had I been around you, I would have also been like, oh, well, I feel like I need to now curtail my behavior to make sure that I keep myself and my children and whomever else is around me safe. Yes. So it's a very, it very quickly becomes this complicated web just well, and I think it, me. <laughs> it also depends on the timing though, right? Because at the time that that had happened, yeah. it was still very early on. So I think had you done that now, people <laughs> would have also reacted a little bit differently because- Like you dumbass, why were you traveling during COVID-19? <laughs> right. And why were you, you know, hanging out with people? But so, I think also at this point, like you have to take some of the personal- 
responsibility yourself. Like yeah. I, you know, I thought maybe I had, there was a woman who I saw last week who was not a friend of mine and was at a, um, an outdoor thing I was at. And she at the, I finally was like, I have to leave cause I'm not feeling well. And I was like, why are you here? Um, you know, and, uh, she didn't say anything until the end of being there. And she's like, oh, and by the way, my daughter's boyfriend is waiting on results from a COVID test. And it was like, definitely. Why are you here? Um, so, and the woman whose house I was at, her husband was really angry because this woman had been driving their daughter around. <laughs> so, um, and no mask. So, um, That's the IQ test right there, right, right. not wearing right. a mask. <laughs> right. And so you think in that case, that kind of behavior, I think is really selfish. And, um, you know, so that's the kind of thing where, you know, in your case, it was still very on in the early on. Oh, we didn't even know about, like, it was only exactly. in County. Yeah. I, right. Right. So it wasn't, you know, that, that I think is different. So now it's more like, okay, you know, if it happened now, then you'd be like, you're a jerk, but, um, and also what was my responsibility in hanging out with you? So I think they're different, slightly different scenarios. I love you, Lindsay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we do start to some people, I mean, not us, cause we all work from home, but, um, when you're going back to work, I think there are some questions that, you know, we get to ask of our employers, um, to see what our comfort level is. And, uh, you know, one of those things is, will social distancing be practiced? You know, we, we all know what our own workspace looks like. Maybe you're in an office where you can close your doors. I know one of the women I was talking to this morning said they have to uh, tell their office that they're going to be in and they have to go into their office and shut the door and basically not leave it um, unless they're going to be using a conference room. And in, in that case, there are some strict rules that they have to abide by. Um, but maybe you're in a cubicle area where you're within six feet of your colleagues normally. So, you know, there may be some other things. You know, that, the, uh, um, do you and Marcy know if, let's say your business is open and you can go back to work. What if you want to continue to work from home? Do they allow that in general? I mean, it, or, so it, it depends on the company. Mm -hmm. um, some companies are being very flexible um, but, uh, if you're immunocompromised, you actually may be able to get an ADA exemption exemption to continue working from home. But there's also, and we're going to share this in the resources, an article that answers that question from a legal perspective of whether employees can refuse to work, to return to work because of COVID-19. Gotcha. Yeah. And I've heard most companies that I've heard who are returning to work do have because everybody's acknowledging you know just because we can return to work the schools aren't back the not everything's open and so the situation is still not back to where we were so even though the businesses are open it doesn't necessarily mean it's that easy to go back to business at normal as normal uh right. even if people wanted to you know it's interesting what you say about socializing in the office because i had a friend post recently that you know their office is reopening i think she's in I want to say she's in Colorado, maybe she, um, and so their office reopened and, and she went in and she said that she spent the whole day socializing. And I know she means that as she's, you know, you know, greeting people and saying hello to people that she hasn't seen in months and what an amazing opportunity to finally see people. And yet at the same time, uh, as I read it, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of the biggest fear, isn't it? In some right. ways, just because everybody's wearing a mask and social distancing 
doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're open for socialization. And that's going to be probably one of the greatest challenges when anything, I think that's exactly what happened here in Texas is we reopened and everybody was so excited to see other people. That's what they did. The first yeah. thing that we closed back down were the bars <laughs> for that very reason, right? People just want to socialize. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they weren't wearing masks either. I mean, they were yeah, hugging and kissing and drinking and loving. And I'm like, duh. Right. There, right. There's that too. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, when you've been, you know, locked in your house for an extended period of time, you know, seeing people is like getting a drink of water when you haven't had, a, had, had any water for three weeks. You know, it's, yeah. it's really, it's refreshing. Um, I've been alone a lot because I live by myself. And so being able to see people again, and I've been very, very careful and limited in my interactions with people, but being able to see people again is both weird and amazing. So are you still wearing garbage bags, Lindsay? No, I'm not still wearing garbage <laughs> bags. I'm wearing my mask. So not yeah, everyone I- is wearing a mask. I know that you need that. Um, I do too, that human interaction. So, um, but I will not hug. I will not handshake. I, I will wink from afar and I will um, smile underneath my mask and wave, but that's it. Yeah, I should do that. I am hugging. I shouldn't hug people, but um, you know, I have seen my oldest nieces and it's hard to tell the kids that you can't hug them. So I know. And you know, my dad hugged my son when he saw him and I was sitting there going, <gasps> you know, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's my dad. When my dad met my boyfriend, he shook his hand and I was sitting there like, no, <laughs> don't touch each other. But um, it's, you know, there's a term for this, which I learned. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before. I learned it reading a book that I was reading a couple months ago called Skin Hunger. Oh. Which isn't that such a great Sounds term. like a horror film. Peel <laughs> <laughs> off someone's skin and eat it. <laughs> yummy, yummy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> skin oh, hunger. I get it though. Yeah, it, it well, it's so vivid and, and it the story was talking about how a lot of elderly people suffer from skin hunger because there's so few people in your life at that point that touch you. That makes and, and single people. That's true for single it, people too. Yes, it does. It made me super sad to read it as well. Or some married couples, not this one, but just like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's why they suggest too for single people, and I'm sure for older people too. It's you know you should do things like scheduling massages, or I mean, it's one of the reasons I go to a chiropractor regularly, and um, so that was really tough during the you know the the deep quarantine because you don't nobody touches you. And it, you don't think that it affects you, but over time, it actually really does have an effect on you. Yeah. The energy and the, and the, this is why, you know, Reiki's powerful. I mean, human energy is, I know there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in that stuff, but it is, it's real. It's called science. I mean, we're all made of energy, correct? So we feed off of each other and the, the touch, I mean, skin is so sensitive. Um, but I just want to interject a funny little thing. When James was young, he had this addiction to Subway, which worked well for mom who didn't cook. So I was like, there's a Subway every 15 minutes, right? All across this country. So when he was little, I had said, Subway, eat fresh. And he thought that I said, Subway, eat flesh. So forever, <laughs> well, forever he would say, Subway, eat flesh. And that just oh reminds God. me of your book title. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. That is, it, it's such a, yeah. I, well, 
this is something we, I'm not going to sing it, but I grew up with my <laughs> grandmother singing me a song that my grandfather had brought back from the war in the South Pacific. And so it is a song called the cannibal King. And oh my. I, she sang it to me when I was little. It's how I fell asleep at night. It's how my children oh my fell God. asleep at night. I know. Ow. <laughs> So yes, it's um, it's fascinating. You You're should gonna send your to therapy bills to grandma. <laughs> no, but when, I, think, it, I don't know. As a kid, it doesn't register. It's actually a right. sweet little story. <laughs> well, it's like Ring Around the Rosie, which is about um, what, the plague. Yeah. Oh gosh. So you know, and that prayer about um, now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, it's like. That's right. If I die before I wake. Like, yeah. Right. Just so right. awful. That gave, that gave me nightmares. Cannibal yeah. King was no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now they've changed it because my, my, my nieces all say that prayer and now they've changed it. There's like some other phrase that they use, which I don't really know. But Yes. They've yeah. even changed the bumblebee song. They no longer squish the bumblebee. Oh, well, thank God. I mean, terrible. <laughs> you should thank California. <laughs> we need our bees. You don't want to be squishing bees. Jeez. That's right. We need our bees. I love y'all. This is so much fun. Uh, Lindsay, I know you have an appointment you have to scoot to right I now. Do. Why don't y'all send me the new versions of that um, Sleepy Time Prayer? And if you can remember your cannibal song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just send me that personally. <laughs> I'm in, I'm that, interested. Yeah. I think that's funny. All right, ladies. I love y'all so much and stay safe. And Lindsay, um, thank you for hosting the show today. You're always such a great host. And we thank will you. see y'all next week. Any closing comments? Stay safe out there. All righty. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. bye.